What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Fantasy Oddballs Football Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McNichols, joined by my co-host, Rich Howe, and our producer, Mike Coyle. We are talking everything Dynasty and season-long fantasy football. We dig through all the numbers so that you don't have to. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Fantasy Oddballs Football Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McNichols. I am running solo today on another episode of Ryan's Rants. No Rich Halker, Mike Coyle, just me by myself today. So it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, and we're going to dive right into things. So what I'm going to be talking about today, a couple of things that just kind of affect me a little bit personally. I'm going to be talking about some running back injury history and how it will affect you this upcoming season with some significant running backs and why it affects me personally in my dynasty league. And then after that, I'm going to get into the Lamar Jackson situation and what's going on with that. So that first half where we're talking about the running back injury history, that's your fantasy relevant information, that's the biggest stuff that you're going to want to take away for fantasy. And then that second half about Lamar Jackson is just going to be me and my thoughts about that whole situation. Not a lot of fantasy relevance to be taken away from it, but if you want to stay tuned and listen to me rave like a madman about the situation, then by all means, please stick around. So let's just start off with the running back injury history. Not going to waste too much time. Just going to dive right into this one. Ah! Ah! Here's where this concerns me for this upcoming season. We have Javante Williams and Brees Hall both coming off serious injuries this upcoming season. And so far, both the reports from both of those teams are that those players are going to be ready to start the season this year in 2023. Let me go through why, one, I don't think that they will be ready, and two, even if they are, they're going to be ineffective for most of the season. Let's take a look at some of the significant running back injuries over the past couple of years. We're going to go back to 2017 with Dalvin Cook. So in 2017, Dalvin Cook was a rookie, and in week four of that year, he tore his ACL. It was a grade three tear. It happened in week four. That was October 1st. So up until that point, he had been averaging 4.8 yards per carry. Obviously, with the ACL tear in week four, he misses the rest of the 2017 season. He is ready to start the 2018 season. He's available for week one, and he's available for week two. In week one, he averaged 2.5 yards per carry. Then in week two, he averaged 3.8 yards per carry. Week three, he ended up injuring his hamstring. I'm sorry, he ended up injuring his hamstring in week two of 2018 and missed week three. He then came back and played in week four where he had about two yards per carry. He re-injured his hamstring and then missed weeks five through eight. So just to be clear about that, tore his ACL in week four of 2017, came back, played the first two games of 2018, looked really ineffective in those two games, injured his hamstring in week two, causing him to miss week three, played in week four where he re-injured his hamstring and then had to miss a whole nother month. He finally returned in week nine, of 2018 and started looking like the Dalvin Cook he was looking like prior to the injury. So again, tore his ACL week four of 2017, didn't return to being the Dalvin Cook that he was and could be until week nine of 2018. That is a full 13 months after the injury occurred before Dalvin Cook started to look like Dalvin Cook. We hear this talk about all the times where 
the players don't look like themselves after an ACL tear for at least a year. And I feel like NFL teams and players and people who own these guys in fantasies always kind of tell themselves that that year is like a football calendar year and not like a year as in 12 months from the day. So I feel like people typically ignore that, and that's part of why we're going through this. And with Dalvin Cook, it was clearly he needed 13 months before he ended up looking like himself again. He, again, started playing at the beginning of 2018, wasn't ready, ended up re-injured himself and missed more time than if it would have just kept him out for additional time at the start of the season. Then we have Saquon Barkley, who in 2020, in his third year, suffered a grade 3 ACL tear and also a grade 2 MCL sprain in week 2 on September 20th. So this was again of September 20th of 2020. Prior to that, in 2018 and 2019, he averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Obviously, tearing the ACL in week two, he missed all of the rest of 2020. In 2021, he came back, played the first four weeks, and through weeks one through four, averaged 3.5 yards per carry. So again, the prior two years together, he had averaged 4.8 yards per carry, and then the first four weeks of 2021, after coming back from the ACL tear, he was averaging three and a half, three and a half yards per carry. So... Over almost a yard and a half less than he had been averaging previously. And then what do you know, week 5, October 10th, he ends up injuring himself. He suffered a pedal ankle sprain and a, pull, and a grade 1 muscle pull of an undisclosed muscle. Ended up missing weeks 6 through 9. Then they had a bye week in week 10. And finally he comes back weeks 11 through 17 and he still doesn't quite look like himself. Only averaging a little bit more at 3.65 yards per attempt. And then finally, in 2022, he comes back and looks like himself. So again, Saquon Barkley suffers this injury in week two of 2020. He comes back. He's ready for the start of 2021. What do you know? He looks ineffective. He doesn't look like himself. And then he gets hurt week five and ends up missing another month. Kind of similar to what happened to Dalvin Cook, where he came back and played, played week one and two, had a minor injury, missed week three, played week four, got hurt again, and then ended up missing a month of the season. This is a little pattern you're going to see notice here among some of these guys. Next, we have J.K. Dobbins, who suffered a grade three ACL tear in the preseason of 2021 on August 28th. So he missed all of 2021, missed weeks one and two of 2022. He comes back and he plays weeks, weeks three through six, where he averages 3.5 yards per carry. So I keep mentioning the yards per carry for players. Just to give you an idea, the average the average for NFL running backs yards per carry in 2022 was 4.4 yards per carry. So anytime you hear beneath 4, that's bad. Ideally, you're shooting for around that 4.4, 4.5. So my point is, after these injuries, all these guys come back, and they're just not producing at an effective rate like they were beforehand, and not even like an average effective rate for a running back in the league. J.K. Dobbins, weeks again, played week three through six, averaged three and a half yards per carry. His knee ended up tightening up on him in week six on October 16th. And what do you know? He misses weeks seven through 13. And then finally comes back and plays week 14 through 17. And then he starts to look like the J.K. Dobbins we all expected to see. Averaged 6.96 yards per carry during weeks 14 to 17 at the end of last year. He did not play in week 18. The Ravens were out of contention and they rested their guy or they rested him. 
because they didn't need to risk any further injury to him. But again, he tore his ACL in the preseason of 2021. Came back, played weeks one and two, or he missed weeks one and two of 2022 because it was a little more complicated than just an ACL tear. There was some other stuff in there that had to get taken care of and cleared out. Was ineffective when he came back, played weeks three through six, suffered an injury, and then missed another month of the season, just like Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley. Then, of course, we also have Travis Etienne, who in 2021 suffered a pedal Lisfranc tear in the preseason on August 16th, so he suffered his injury a little bit before J.K. Dobbins. He missed all of 2021, showed up for the start of 2022 in weeks one through four. If you look at his game logs, it just wasn't particularly you know, effective. In week one, he was good on yards per carry. That's because he had one big breakaway one. He only had four carries in that game. But basically, weeks one through four, he didn't have more than 50 rushing yards. And then after that, he started looking like himself again. So the reason I bring this up is with all these guys, it took over a year for them to get back to being the productive running back that they had been. For the guys that came back and tried to play at the start of the season, Davin Cook, Saquon Barkley, J.K. Dobbins, it was clear that they needed more time to recover, that they were not ready to start the season, that they were ineffective, especially not just compared to what they had been doing before, but compared to just what an average running back in the NFL is expected to do. So I say all this because we have Javante Williams, who tore both his ACL and LCL, grade three tears on both his ACL and LCL in week four of 2022 on October 2nd. So if we do some quick math here, he tore those ligaments on October 2nd of 2022. If it's going to take him about 13 months to get back to being Javante Williams, we're looking at November 2nd for him to be back of 2023. So you're going to miss all of September, all of October, and then hope that he's back to form when he comes back in November. And that's if they go with the conservative plan and let him sit out. The problem is, I don't think they're going to. I'm in a glass case of emotion! Same thing with Brees Hall. He suffered a grade 3 ACL tear and a meniscus tear in week 7 last year on October 23rd. Literally three weeks after Javante Williams. They're talking about Brees Hall being ready for the start of the season. The problem with that is that if you keep telling people that and you think that they're going to be ready for the start of the season, and then they do in fact start them for the start of the season... It's going to be one of those things where these guys go out there, they don't look like themselves, they look ineffective, and by week five, both these guys are going to end up on IR and miss another three to four games out of the season because they're going to re-injure something. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 And I would rather them just rest these guys, just put them on the bench, Go with other running backs that you have there. Let these guys heal up. Accept the fact they're not going to be available for the first month and a half, two months of the season. Let them recover. And then go with the other running backs you have there. And this is why it affects me, because in my Dynasty League, I have Samaj P. Ryan, who I believe is going to be operating as the team's leading running back during the first half of the season when Javante Williams is banged up. And even if Javante Williams is, is playing, they'll be in a timeshare. Javante Williams will be ineffective, and Samaj P. Ryan will end up getting a lion's share of the work, where it'll be 
a 60-40 split or a 65-35 split with Samaj P. Ryan being the lead guy until Javante Williams ends up re-injuring something and then misses four games somewhere from weeks five to weeks 12. And then same thing with Brees Hall. I don't have Michael Carter, but I do have Zonovan Knight, who filled in very admirably for Brees Hall last year when he was uh, after he went down and was injured. I don't know why they started moving away from him. I thought Bam Knight was pretty effective when he was out there. And I have both Bam Knight and Samaj P. Ryan on my team in a dynasty league. And I want to trade them for draft capital and try to acquire a few more picks or try to move up on some of the picks that I do have. And if... You know, the Jets and the Broncos weren't sitting there telling everybody that Brees Hall and Javante Williams would be ready to start the season. Then people would realize that Bam Knight and Samaji P. Ryan are probably going to be the starting running backs for those teams for the first half of the season. And the owners of those players would be interested in these guys. And I might have something to bargain with. But because these teams are delusional. Just a flesh wound. And they are actually planning on starting these guys at the start of the season, even though everything we've seen about starting running backs coming off these types of injury tells you that you probably shouldn't. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. It just tanks the value of guys on my team who I think could be traded and gave me draft capital. So it's a personal gripe of mine. It's also a warning for all of you out there who you know, are going to have your drafts probably before we get to the point where you hear that, you know, these guys aren't ready to go, that Brees Hall and Javante Williams might not be ready to start the season. Because remember, with J.K. Dobbins last year, J.K. Dobbins came out and said he was going to be ready. Not only was he going to be ready for the start of the season, he'd be ready for preseason. And then he ended up not playing until week three of last year. So that shows you how much players know. And again, that was after he got in injured in August of last year, and he wasn't ready until late September of 2022. So I just don't know why both teams are operating under this notion that both of these players are going to be ready to go when the season starts. It seems like they're doing themselves a disservice, or if they're just saying that and they kind of know the truth, it's doing a disservice to me and my fantasy value for the handcuffs that I have to those running backs. <laughs> but it's a, again, it's a warning for all you guys out there. Like when you're doing your drafts, if you're doing them before the point where these guys are, you know, told that they're not going to be ready to start the season, you need to know that, you know, the Brees Hall you saw last year is probably not the Brees Hall you're going to see for most of this year. You got hurt in week seven last year, week seven. I'm not expecting him to look like Brees Hall until late November, early December, at which point it doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you took him to be your RB2. Same thing with Javante Williams, where it's going to be, you know, early to mid-November before he looks like Javante Williams. And again, if you took, take him to be your RB2, it's just not something you can rely on. So I feel like these two guys are going to go a lot higher than they should because the teams keep telling everybody they're going to be ready. And I just quite frankly don't think that they're going to be ready to start the season. It's tanking their va or the value of the handcuffs behind them, and it's, bo it's boosting their value too much in drafts. So that's my little fantasy warning. That's the fantasy part of this episode. If, you know, you want to tune out because you're not interested in what we're doing going forward, that's fine. But what we're going to do going forward is we're going to take a look at this Lamar Jackson situation and, like, everything surrounding Lamar Jackson's situation. There's a lot to get into with this. Let's start with some of the weirder aspects of what's going on in this negotiation. Lamar Jackson was drafted in 2018 same year as Josh Allen. He was taken towards the end of the first round, so 
the team Ravens obviously had a fifth year option they could exercise on him and use him but basically the way that con- rookie contracts work is you can begin negotiating a new contract or a contract extension with players after the conclusion of their third year if they're a first or second round pick because they have four or five years on they have four years on their contract with you know obviously first round picks having the fifth year option but you can basically renegotiate with them once they have with rookies once they only have one year left on their rookie deal Lamar Jackson never did that because Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. Josh Allen does have an agent, and Josh Allen did do those things. So that's the first weird part is that most franchise quarterbacks would not have played the last two years of their contract out the way that Lamar Jackson did, where he went into the fourth year of his rookie contract with them basically you know, picking up the fifth-year option and not signing him to a deal or getting a deal done. Most players wouldn't have gone out and then played on the fifth-year option because they have no long-term guarantees. They have no long-term contract. If something goes wrong on the fifth-year option, they basically cost themselves money and have no guarantee of anything going forward. And the team can always tag them so that they don't really have any leverage. And that's exactly what happened. The Baltimore Ravens slapped Lamar Jackson with the non-exclusive franchise tag. And again, for those of you who might not know, there's two different franchise tags. Exclusive and non-exclusive. An exclusive franchise tag would mean that the Ravens put a franchise tag on him. He can only negotiate a uh, deal with the Baltimore Ravens. There is still a possibility that the Ravens could trade him on the exclusive franchise tag, but Lamar Jackson would not be the one negotiating with teams and trying to figure any sort of trade or anything like that out. Basically, the Ravens are the only ones with the rights to negotiate with Lamar Jackson, and they could still trade him if they wanted to. The non-exclusive franchise tag pays Lamar Jackson about $12, $13 million less, and it allows Lamar Jackson to negotiate with other teams, essentially. Other teams can try to come to a contract with Lamar Jackson, make an offer sheet to him, and if Lamar Jackson signs it, then Lamar Jackson essentially could end up playing for that team. Now, the Ravens would have a chance to match the offer that any team gave Lamar Jackson that he agreed and signed to. And if that would be the case, Lamar Jackson would play for the Baltimore Ravens on the same deal that he was going to play on another team. Very bizarre situation that the Ravens would allow him to hit have the you know transition tag so that he could negotiate with other teams. Lamar Jackson should have gotten his, his deal done. 2021 is when he should have signed an extension with the Baltimore Ravens. That's when Josh Allen signed his, both taken in the first round of the same year of 2018. That's when they're both available for an extension. Josh Allen got his six-year extension. Lamar Jackson, no agent, decided he couldn't work out a deal with them then. Decided to focus on playing football, goes out, does that. And then plays 2022 on the fifth-year option because last offseason they still couldn't come to a conclusion on a deal that they could all sign together. And part of that has to do with the Sean Watson contract, which I'll get into in a little bit later. But basically that's the first weird part is that didn't get his deal done before the final two years of his rookie contract. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. That cost himself a lot of money if you look at the difference between what Josh Allen has made thus far in his career versus what Lamar Jackson has made. I mean, it's not even close as far as their career earnings. So far through their careers, Josh Allen has earned $85 million. Lamar Jackson has earned $33 million. So about two and a half times as much money as Lamar Jackson has earned during the same uh, span of time. 
And Lamar Jackson managed to get an NFL MVP in that time frame, and Josh Allen has not. Not that it's any slight against Josh Allen. Josh Allen is obviously a phenomenal quarterback, phenomenal football player, one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. Lamar Jackson, thought of in that same sort of category, though, has made significantly less money in the same period of time because he didn't agree to do his deal earlier. So let's get into some of the more recent weird stuff that's gone on because it seems like this relationship between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson has just really gotten to the... I think it's at the point of no return, and here's why. So first, there were reports that came out there that Lamar Jackson wanted a fully guaranteed deal. Essentially, he's looking for a deal similar to Sean Watson. For those who don't remember, Deshaun Watson last year in the 2022 offseason when he got a trade to the Cleveland Browns, then signed a five-year, $230 million deal with all $230 million fully guaranteed. So there's reports that Lamar Jackson is looking for a deal in that neighborhood, essentially, somewhere around $230, $250 million with all of that money fully guaranteed. Lamar Jackson has pushed back on that a little bit and kind of saying, you know, uh, he hasn't directly stated that he does not want a fully guaranteed contract. Let me be clear about that. He has at no point stated that that is not his intention, that he does not want a fully guaranteed contract. But he keeps giving hints that what's being said about him isn't necessarily true. So he tweeted out at one point about a deal that he rejected that he was offered. That was apparently a five-year deal with $133 million guaranteed. But that $133 million guaranteed over the first three years, essentially. So roughly, you know, 41, or I'm sorry, 42 million a year over the first three years in guarantees with the 133 million in the last two years kind of being dummy years or void years. Mar Jackson didn't like that. He rejected it. You know, he tweeted out even that he rejected, you know, five years with 133 mil guaranteed. So that's something that can be confirmed. That is an offer that he had rejected. Then more recently, about a week ago, it's currently, just for everybody out there, it is currently Thursday, March 30th. About a week ago, NFL reporter Tom Pelissero tweets out at 6.03 p.m. This was after reports that somebody was contacting NFL teams, claiming to be contacting them on half of Lamar Jackson, telling those teams that he is done with the Ravens and that he was looking to move on to a new team and sign a deal with them. So that happened two weeks ago. Then about a week later, last week, we find out that this guy is contacting teams again. After a memo was sent to teams informing them not to speak with anybody who's not a certified representative, we find out that this guy is talking to teams again, and then he's not recognized as a certified agent by the NFLPA because there are certain certain qualifications you need to have in order to be an agent. It's in order to protect the players out there. We don't just want anybody claiming that they're an agent and going out there and representing players and then ending up screwing players over and costing them money or, you know, things like that. And that's why... The NFLPA and the NFL have, you know, a rule essentially that you have to pass certain criteria and be recognized as a certified agent by them in order to negotiate deals. And this guy was not. So Tom Pelissero cheated out last week at 6.03 p.m. Ken Francis is a Florida man who was most recently pitching a home fitness invention, I'm told. He is now trying to negotiate a nine-figure contract with NFL teams who are being told they're not allowed to negotiate with him because he's not a certified agent. 
So that's what Tom Pellicero tweeted out about Ken Francis contacting NFL teams in the memo about not, you know, negotiating with play with agents who aren't certified. Seven minutes later, Lamar Jackson tweets out, Stop lying. That man never tried to negotiate it for me. And he quote tweeted Tom Pellicero's tweet. Literally seven minutes after Tom Pellicero tweeted that, Lamar Jackson responded and quote tweeted that. What's interesting is 35 minutes later, Lamar Jackson posts another tweet. That that tweet says, my business partner Ken and I will be dropping the at the entire gym this summer. The at the entire gym, by the way, is a home fitness invention of Ken Francis. And Ken Francis is Lamar Jackson's business partner. Ken Francis is also the man who was reportedly contacting teams on behalf of Lamar Jackson. So it's weird that Tom Palacero put that out at 6.03 p.m. Lamar Jackson spawns within 10 minutes, and then a little over a half hour later, puts out another tweet promoting that home gym product with Ken Francis. So I say all of this because then this week, during the annual league meeting that happens, you know, where the owners and head coaches and all show up and they get together to vote on options for changing the league rules... Like, they just, you know, approved a rule change to allow players to wear number zero. Calvin really is going to wear number zero for the Jacksonville Jaguars, things like that. Lamar Jackson tweets out at 10.48 a.m. And at 10.48 a.m. when Lamar Jackson tweets this out, happens to be the exact time that head coach John Harbaugh is sitting down to speak to reporters. The quote that Lamar Jackson puts out at 10.48 a.m. basically informs the public that on March 2nd, So about a month ago, on March 2nd, Lamar Jackson had requested a trade from the Baltimore Ravens. This was the first thing anybody had heard of it publicly, even though the request happened on March 2nd. Apparently, this didn't get out of the clubhouse, and nobody was aware of this until Lamar Jackson said so. And then, of course, all the reporters at the annual league meeting run over and start asking Harbaugh about it, trying to figure out what's going on. And so what's interesting here is the timing of all of this. It's interesting that Tom Pellicero puts out that tweet at 6.03 p.m. On the same day, it seems that Lamar Jackson and his business partner are going to be dropping the ad for their home fitness gym invention. It then seems like Lamar Jackson, it basically seems like maybe that was a targeted tweet, that they specifically put that out shortly before knowing that Lamar Jackson was going to be promoting that product later on that day. They have inside information. They would be well aware if Lamar Jackson was partnering with another company or somebody like that and who he's working with and if he was going to be promoting a product like that. So maybe they got inside information and knew Lamar Jackson was going to be promoting this product. Lamar Jackson then decides he's going to get back at them by tweeting about his trade request at the exact moment that John Harbaugh is sitting down in front of reporters to answer questions. That's just what it seems like from my viewpoint, from out, from you know somebody standing out in the distance. That maybe there's a little bit of pettiness going on with these tweets and when everything's being announced. Because Lamar Jackson, prior to this, hadn't been saying a whole lot on Twitter about anything. But in the past two weeks, all of a sudden he started going off. More recently, in the past few days, he started tweeting about you know responding to people who were criticizing him for injuries and not being there at the end of the season. The past two years, whole another thing to get into. But it's just a weird situation and a weird saga that's going on on social media right now. 
Now, let's get to the whole situation itself and as far as, like, where everything stands and what's going on. So, again, Deshaun Watson apparently wants, or I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson wants a Deshaun Watson-type deal where he's getting about $250 million with all of that money fully guaranteed. And he points, everybody points to the Deshaun Watson deal and says, Deshaun Watson got that. Why shouldn't Lamar Jackson? So we're going to go through that. We're going to go through why, basically, if this request is what Lamar Jackson is asking for, and again, this is just allegedly what Lamar Jackson is asking for, we're going to go through all the reasons why this is a bad idea for teams to do, and why teams just frankly aren't going to do it, and Lamar Jackson might be off his rocker for thinking that he can or that he should be doing this. And quite frankly, I'm kind of annoyed with some of the other people in the media who are trying to defend this and take this up as some sort of cause or something that he's trying to do for the whole league. Because now it's, you know, now apparently everyone's decided that Lamar Jackson's on a crusade to get fully guaranteed contracts into the NFL. And we're going to talk about that coming up soon, too, in this episode. I'll address why that's not going to happen. But let's start with the first thing, which is the comparison to Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Watson's deal. Here's the bottom line. Deshaun Watson's deal is an outlier, okay? No other team other than what the Vikings did with Kirk Cousins back in 2018, where they signed him with a three-year deal with $84 million fully guaranteed. Again, that was in 2018, $84 million fully guaranteed over three years. Is a little bit different than $250 million fully guaranteed. It's about, you know, three times as expensive to do. Oh, and by the way, that deal for the Minnesota Vikings didn't uh, really work out for them. They signed Kirk Cousins to that deal. They were in the NFC Championship game in 2017. And then in 2018, after bringing in Kirk Cousins to replace Case Keenum, they went 8-7-1, and 10-5, and then 7-9, and 1-1 and in the playoffs during the, that three-year contract that Kirk Cousins had that was fully guaranteed. So didn't really pay off for the Vikings. So it's not really a reason for any other team to go about doing that. And basically the amount of guaranteed money, if you look at the other quarterback contracts that have happened since Lamar Jackson has been drafted in 2018, they guarantee somewhere from about 60% to 75% of the money that they offer for quarterbacks. That's kind of where the ranges fall. So to come out and expect all of a sudden 100% fully guaranteed is just it's it's a huge step and one that's just again not going to happen for other reasons we'll get into a little bit later about the fully guaranteed part. But Lamar Jackson's thing was an outlier, and the other part of that is Lamar Jack or, or Deshaun Watson's deal was an outlier, and the other part of that is he had leverage, and this is the part I think everyone's really not understanding. Lamar Jackson should have signed his deal at the end of the 2020 season, and he did not. And he should have. I don't know why he wouldn't have, but he should have. And if he had an agent, the agent would have advised him to do it. He would have advised him basically to do whatever it took to come to a deal with the team prior to going out and playing on or in the fourth year, the final year of his rookie contract without the option, obviously. Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, whereas Lamar Jackson currently right now is stuck with the non-exclusive franchise tag on him. And here's this is a whole other part of the reason why it's hard for teams to trade him and why teams aren't interested in trying to get him is that with the non-exclusive tag, again, the Baltimore Ravens have a right to match any offer any team comes to. So what a lot of people keep saying right now is, 
why would another team want to negotiate a contract with Lamar Jackson just for the Baltimore Ravens to decide that they are going to match that offer and sign Lamar Jackson the same contract. You'd be doing the work for the Baltimore Ravens. A lot of teams don't really want to take the time and spend make that their plan that they're going to try to get Lamar Jackson and try to spend, you know, three months of the offseason figuring out a contract that works with him only for the last minute the Baltimore Ravens to turn around and sign them. And then that team now has to start over and figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. So it's a lot of time to invest in trying to sign somebody that you're ultimately not guaranteed to end up signing. So that's the problem with him having the, you know, the non-exclusive tag on him. You also would be giving up two first-round picks to acquire him in that situation. Now, that would be a bargain to get Lamar Jackson, even with the contract extension you have to give him. But again, you run the risk of not getting him at all, even after being prepared to give all that up. Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, was not playing on a franchise tag. For everybody who does not remember, Deshaun Watson, in the 2020 offseason, he signed a deal. The same, he signed a deal for four years, $156 million, with 111, about $112 million guaranteed. This was with the Houston Texans. So Deshaun Watson, again, signed a deal with the Houston Texans in 2020, four years, $156 million. The Texans went on to go 4-12 and that season. Deshaun Watson was unhappy with the team. They had gotten rid of DeAndre Hopkins, and that was part of the reason that they had a poor showing. And Deshaun Watson decided, hey, you know what? I don't want to play in Houston anymore. And he sat out all of 2021. This is an important thing that people are forgetting in the Deshaun Watson situation. Deshaun Watson was under contract, under that new contract he signed. Four years, $156 million. We are talking close to $40 million a year that he was being paid, that he was accounting for on cap space. And then he sat out in 2021, one year into the deal, or two years into the deal. The reason that that's different and that the Houston Texans were motivated to trade him was because he's counting against the cap space in the offseason. Even though he decided to sit out all season, during the offseason and free agency period where you're adding players and you're trying to get players to come to your team and you're trying to you know, put money out there, his deal was counting against the salary cap. So they couldn't add players even though he had no intention of playing for them that season. Aww. In addition to that, Deshaun Watson did in fact have a no-trade clause so he could decide where he wanted to go. So it was one of those things where the Texans had to move him because he was going to sit out. He had done that. He had shown his leverage and used it by sitting out all of 2021. He was not missing that because of the police investigations or anything like that. He voluntarily did not play in 2021. And he used that leverage to get the Houston Texans to agree to get him out of there. And then because he has the no trade clause, he was getting teams to compete over him because he was essentially the one deciding where he could go. And it wasn't a matter of where, you know, it wasn't a matter of where the Texans wanted to trade him to. It was a matter of where he wanted to go and play football. And the Cleveland Browns only ended up signing him to the deal they did because they were one of the four finalists. And he told them, hey, you're out of the running. I'm not even considering your team anymore. And so they made a call and said, what would it take for you to reconsider that offer? And that's how he ended up getting the fully guaranteed deal. Lamar Jackson does not have any of that leverage. He does not have a no-trade clause. He cannot stop the Ravens if they decide to trade him somewhere from trading him. He cannot stop the Ravens from matching an offer that another team makes. 
He cannot force his way to trade out of there. If he decides not to sign the transition tag, or the, I'm sorry, the non-exclusive franchise tag, and sits out for the season, he just doesn't accrue a year, and then the team can tag him again next season. And that was not an option for Deshaun Watson. The team could not tag him. His contract was just going to keep getting pushed further and further and keep counting against the cap space, and that's not what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have the same leverage Deshaun Watson did. It's not the same situation. Don't compare it. So that's the first issue is the Deshaun Watson thing. That's what everybody likes to point out. Those are all the reasons that you can't use Deshaun Watson as the comparison. He's an outlier. It doesn't count. He had more leverage. He was already under contract. He had a no-trade clause. He had all these things going for him that Lamar Jackson does not have going for him. And by the way, at that time, teams hated that deal. I, there was After that deal was done, there was nothing more talked about than the fact that all that money was fully guaranteed and how teams didn't like that and nobody wanted to see that happen because they knew that it was going to lead to a situation like this. So I don't know why now, a year later, we're all so surprised that teams don't want to do this. We knew this last year when it happened to Sean Watson that NFL teams did not want to do this and that the Browns clearly overpaid to get him on the team because they were out of the running. So I'm not so sure... Why teams all of a sudden, or, you know, media members around the league are freaking out about this and why they won't give him a guaranteed contract and this, that, and the other thing. Teams didn't want to do it last year. Only the Browns wanted to do it last year. And people keep trying to say, well, the market value was set by Deshaun Watson. No, it wasn't. The market value is what somebody is willing to pay you for whatever it is you're offering. And you can say, again, you can stand there and you can... Hold, you know, this, you, you can take your hat off and hold and say, I have a $50 baseball hat, but if nobody's going to pay you more than $20 for it, you don't have a $50 baseball hat. You have a $20 baseball hat because that's all you're going to get from somebody for it. Let's move on to the next thing now where, and again, this is NFL media members pushing this, or not just NFL medias, but football media members starting to push this notion of Lamar Jackson's going on a crusade to get fully guaranteed contracts over to the NFL, just like in other sports. And, you know, he's, he's being selfless. He's not trying to get a fully guaranteed contract with $250 million for himself. No, 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 no. He is doing this as a selfless act for the rest of the league. <laughs> That is what people are now contending. And there are questions about why NFL contracts aren't fully guaranteed like they do in the other sports, you know, baseball and NBA and NHL, and why, you know, the money's not fully guaranteed like it is with those things. So here's what I want everyone to understand. It's not possible to do that in the NFL, to fully guarantee all the contracts on the roster. And there's a very simple reason for that. One... It's a two-part reason, really. One, there's a hard salary cap that teams cannot go over. Every team in the NFL has the same amount of money that they're allowed to spend on players on a yearly basis. Number two, in addition to the hard salary cap, there are 53 players on an NFL roster. For comparison, Major League Baseball has a roster of 26 players, so half as many players on their team. NHL rosters have 23 players, and NBA rosters have 15 players on their team. <sighs> so, that comes out to be a grand total of 64 players between those three sports. There's 53 on an NFL team. Major League Baseball does not have a hard cap. Teams can spend whatever they want on them. But 
the average MLB salary cap is about $125 million to be spread across 26 players. If you've ever looked at a Major League Baseball roster, you know full well that most of that money is put in the, in the top four, five, six guys on the team, and everybody else is making next to nothing. So, the reason you cannot do this with NFL contracts is because there is a significantly larger number of players on the team, and you cannot guarantee 53 contracts. You cannot fully guarantee the contracts of 53 players on your team and still expect to field a competitive roster. It's not possible. The only way that it would happen would be to pay players less money and assign them to shorter contracts, which is what would happen. I can't sign back-end players to two- or three-year deals if it's fully guaranteed and that player could get injured or that player could just decide, hey, you know what, I'm sick of being the fourth wide receiver on a team and not getting any playing time. I'll just retire and not play anymore. Or, you know, they're just not effective because, hey, they're a fourth-string wide receiver. How, how often do those guys work out? If teams are going to have to fully guarantee that money, they're going to pay less money to the guys on the back end. So it's not a selfless act to be demanding fully guaranteed salary when you have a hard salary cap. It is, in fact, going to mean that all of the players who are not known names, not known commodities, basically anybody who's not a starter or a high-quality backup is going to make less money than they're currently making. They're going to see shorter deals and have less money guaranteed. And even the star players are going to see shorter deal contracts because you're not going to see five-year deals for wide receivers fully guaranteed if if they have to be fully guaranteed because what if something happens and the wide receiver becomes ineffective or you want to trade him? It just it doesn't leave you any flexibility in a situation where you have a 53-man roster in a very violent sport where there's a lot more injuries that happen. So it's not going to do anything to protect players. What players could do now is have their injury guarantees if that's what they're worried about, which obviously every player is. But to say let's fully guarantee all that contract, that's going to hurt most of the players in the league who aren't big-name players because teams aren't going to want to guarantee a lot of money to somebody that they're not sure is part of the team's long-term plan. So I just disagree with any sort of notion that the NFL is going to be able to do this with having a hard salary cap and even spending more money than the other... Again, it's just one of those things. If you look at the amount of money spent between, between the... MLB average salary cap at $125 million and the NBA salary cap of $134 million. You put those two salary caps together, that is $259 million that they have to spend, but that money is split up between 41 players. So $259 million, essentially $260 million, split up between 49 players as opposed to in the NFL where you have $208 million, so about $50 million less, to go amongst 53 players. It's just not something that's feasible. It's not going to happen. And if it does, it's just going to be bad for a majority of the players in the league, which is part of the reason that I don't think it has happened. So it's just, you're not going to be able to field a competitive roster, and then people say, well, just get rid of the salary cap. And it's like, well, they, NFL wants parity. They want teams to be juggling back and forth. They want something like they have in the NFC East where no team has repeated as the division champ since 2004 and 2003 when the Eagles did it. They want competitiveness. And if you get rid of a salary cap, it's going to be built whichever teams are the richest and able to spend the most money to get players. It's not what the NFL wants. They don't want to be like that in other sports. 
So the salary cap's not going anywhere. And if you have the hard salary cap, you cannot do fully guaranteed rosters for 53 players. So that's another reason this whole social crusade that apparently media members want to say Lamar Jackson's on. It's just nonsense, dude. It's he's not. That's not what he's doing. Stop it. I just I, I hate this notion that all of a sudden this is something that's you know bigger than him. He saw the Deshaun Watson deal and he wanted something similar. Let me get to now the contracts for quarterbacks essentially. So. Lamar Jackson, the deal he's looking for with, again, he's looking for a five-year, he's looking for a deal that's paying him similar to what Deshaun Watson got. Again, maybe not fully guaranteed, but the expectation would be that he's getting somewhere around what Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson got, where they're getting $230, $240 million over the next five years. So he's won something in that area. He wants most of that money guaranteed. Let's take a look at all the quarterbacks that have signed major money deals since Lamar Jackson has been drafted in the NFL. And then we'll talk about why the Ravens might not be too keen to do this and why other teams might not be too keen to try to jump in and sign Lamar to an offer sheet instead of the Ravens. Let's start with 2018, the year Lamar Jackson is drafted. There were a couple of players who signed a deal that year. We have Aaron Rodgers, who signed a four-year, $134 million deal with $98 million guaranteed. That's about 73% of his salary cap guaranteed, or I'm serious, 73% of that money guaranteed. They went 6-9-1 that season. Then he went, then look, the Green Bay Packers went 13-3 for three seasons straight. So that was the four years after that deal was signed. But they went 2-3 in the playoffs. We know that they kept losing to the 49ers every time that they got in the playoffs. And now Aaron Rodgers is supposedly getting traded to the Jets. We'll see if that actually ends up happening. Supposedly is all but agreed to except for the terms, and that's what they're trying to figure out. But that's what you got for Aaron Rodgers signing that deal. Two and three in the playoffs, 73% of the money guaranteed, and two MVP seasons. So it's a relative amount of success, but it didn't bring you a Super Bowl. You didn't do a whole lot in the playoffs. Again, you were 2-3. and three. You kept losing to the 49ers every time you went up against them. So how much of a success was that contract is debatable. You have Matt Ryan, who in 2018 signed a five-year, $150 million deal with the Atlanta Falcons with $100 million guaranteed. That's 66% of the money guaranteed for Matt Ryan. The Falcons went on to go 7-9, and 7-8. Four and twelve, seven and ten, and then they traded Matt Ryan to the Colts, and Matt Ryan got them zero playoff wins during that time frame. Uh, they didn't even make the playoffs. I apologize during that time frame. So yeah, zero playoff wins, no playoff appearances after Matt Ryan signs his five-year, hundred fifty million dollar deal with the Atlanta Falcons. So that one clearly did not work out. There's Kirk Cousins, who I had mentioned earlier, signed a three-year, eighty-four million dollar deal with all eighty-four million guaranteed. The Vikings, after going to the NFC Championship game in 2017, brought in Kirk Cousins on that deal. They followed that up by going 8-7-1, and 10-5, 7-9, 1-1 in playoff situations in that time frame. So they only made the playoffs once. The year they went 10-5, and and they went 1-1. One one. Not really what you were expecting when you were just in the NFC Championship game and you signed a quarterback to a fully guaranteed deal. 
you have Jimmy Garoppolo that same year in 2018 who signed a $137 million deal with the San Francisco 49ers with $74 million guaranteed. That's about 53 54% of the money guaranteed during that time frame. The following season, he goes 1-2, and two, gets injured, and misses most of the season. The next year, 13-3, and three, and they make it to the Super Bowl where they lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. And the following year, he goes 3-3, three and three, and he misses some more games due to injury. So basically, over the first three years of that five-year deal, he missed about 23 games due to injury and had one Super Bowl appearance. So that's kind of a, you know, you want to go to the Super Bowl, and that's your goal, but then he also wasn't available for two seasons for you, and you decided you needed to draft Trey Lance to replace him. And then Jimmy Garoppolo went 9-6 and six in 2021, and then 7-3 and three in 2022 before he got hurt again and missed more time. And the 49ers went 4-2 and two in the playoffs during that time frame. That's what you got out of Jimmy G on his deal. And that is one of the more successful deals on here. Actually, I was going to, if I'm going, all the deals that I'm going through from 2018 through 2022, I view that there are three deals that were successful for the quarterbacks and their team. Jimmy Garoppolo being one because they had the Super Bowl appearance and a 4 and 2 playoff record. So you could call that deal a success. It kept the 49ers relative and competitive every year, and they still managed to acquire what they thought was a franchise quarterback in Trey Lance, and then even had a fallback option in Brock Purdy emerge for them. Let's move on to 2019 offseason. <laughs> there's some interesting ones here. We had Nick Foles sign a four-year $88 million deal with $50 million guaranteed. That was with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were looking for a franchise quarterback at the time. That's about 56% of the deal fully guaranteed. He went 0-4 as a starter, 2-5 as a starter, then 1-0 and 0-2 as a starter over the next several years. Obviously, during that time frame, he was traded. He went over to the Bears and was bounced around. Basically, the Jaguars had signed him to be their starting quarterback. Four years, $88 million. He goes 0-4. Doesn't have any playoff appearance in that time. Nick Foles essentially fizzles out after his time in Philadelphia without really anything else happening for his career. Carson Wentz, the other quarterback that Philadelphia had during their Super Bowl run, signs a four-year, $128 million deal with the Philadelphia Eagles with $107 million, about $108 million guaranteed. So that's about 84% of the money guaranteed. Carson Wentz follows that up by going 9-7 with the Philadelphia Eagles, 3-8-1. Then he's traded to the Indianapolis Colts where they go 9-8 and and they lose the last two games of the season to miss the playoffs. And then he goes to the Washington Commanders where he goes 2-5. And, and during that four-year time frame, he was 0-1 in playoff appearances. So that's what the Eagles got for their money on Carson Wentz and the Colts and the Washington Commanders. <laughs> One, I'm sorry, two winning seasons at nine and seven and nine and eight, and no playoff wins. That's what you get for the 128 million over four years. That same offseason, Jared Goff signs a four-year, 134 million dollar extension with the Los Angeles Rams. He's got 110 million dollars guaranteed. That's about 82 percent of the money that he signed for. Jared Goff follows it up by going 9-7, then gets traded from the Rams to the Detroit Lions, where he goes 3-10-1 before going 9-8 last season, 
0-1 in playoff appearances during that time. I'm in a glass case of emotion! So if you'll notice here, we've got kind of a little bit of a uh, theme going on with some of these quarterbacks. We talked about in 2018, we had Aaron Rodgers, who... You know, won two playoff games for the Packers during that time frame, but, you know, didn't get them over the hump and get them to a Super Bowl or a Super Bowl victory and is now being traded to the Jets. We had Matt Ryan, who got traded to the Colts from the Atlanta Falcons after signing a five-year deal. Kirk Cousins still with the Vikings. Jimmy Garoppolo, who signed the five-year deal with the 49ers in 2018, is now playing for the New Orleans Saints. Or, I'm sorry, not the New Orleans Saints, the Las Vegas Raiders. I mixed up him and Derek Carr because how could you not? I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. But Jimmy Garoppolo is now playing for the Las Vegas Raiders after signing a five-year deal with the 49ers to be their franchise quarterback. That clearly didn't happen for them. And that was one of the more successful of these quarterback deals. You had Nick Foles, who didn't make it through the season as a starter. Carson Wentz signed a four-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles, got traded after two years. Jared Goff signed a four-year deal with the Los Angeles Rams. These were both guys. Jared Goff had a Super Bowl appearance in 2018. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate in 2017, and the team won the Super Bowl that year after he got injured. And they signed new deals with their teams, and two years into those deals, they both got traded away. You had Ben Roethlisberger, who signed a two-year extension with the Steelers for $68 million with $50 million guaranteed, about 73% guaranteed. Doesn't do a whole lot during that time frame. Goes 0-2 in the playoffs. Decent regular season record. You know, it's Big Ben and the Steelers, but... Yeah, not really a whole lot of success for the Steelers after, you know, extending Ben. Everybody kind of knew that Ben should have moved on from that point. But then you also have Russell Wilson, who signed a four-year, $140 million deal with the Seattle Seahawks. So, again, this was in 2019. I need you to think about that real quick. In 2019, Russell Wilson signed a four-year deal with the Seahawks for $140 million. That should put him with contract through the Seahawks through 2023. Russell Wilson, as we all know, was traded to the Denver Broncos last season. So he had $140 million with $107 million guaranteed, about 76% of that contract guaranteed. Seahawks would go 11-5, and 12-4, and four, and then 6-8 and eight with Russell Wilson under center during that time frame, and he suffered some injuries then in 2021. 2022, last year, obviously, plays for the Denver Broncos. They go 4-13, and 13, and during this time frame, Russell Wilson is 1-2 and two during the playoff span. So that, that's what you've gotten so far out of quarterbacks in 2019 who signed extensions between Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Ben Roethlisberger, and Russell Wilson. They have a combined playoff record of one and six during the years of their contracts that they signed in 2019. So it didn't really work out for any of those teams. Didn't work out for the Bears or the Jaguars signing Nick Foles. Didn't work out for the Eagles or the Rams with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger should have broken up sooner. And then Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks could never get over that hump and ended up having a divorce. In 2020, we have Ryan Tannehill sign a four-year, $118 million deal with $91 million guaranteed. That's about 77% of the money. He goes on with the Tennessee Titans to go 11-5, and 12-5, and and then 6-6 six and six last year before he gets injured. Or, yeah, 6-6 six and six last year before he gets injured, and 0-2 and in the playoffs in that time frame. This was, you know, the Titans the year before in 2019 had gone to the playoffs, the AFC Championship game, and lost. And then basically every year after that just got worse and worse and did, you know, (laughs) finished 
just basically every year, like I said, got worse and finished worse than what they had the year before. Got, you know, further or went less further in the playoffs each year as they went along. And there's talk now that Ryan Tannehill could be on his way out and the Titans might be looking to ship Derrick Henry out as well and kind of tear down and rebuild. So the four-year deal that they signed with Ryan Tannehill after the AFC Championship appearance didn't work out for the Tennessee Titans. You have Kirk Cousins on the list again, signing a two-year deal with the Minnesota Vikings. $66 million, only $31 million guaranteed this time. That's forty about 47% of the money guaranteed. This was after, you know, he had 100% guaranteed on his last contract. I wonder why the Vikings, who had previously fully guaranteed a deal to their quarterback, are now guaranteeing less than 50% of it to that same guy just a few years later. You know, maybe they learned their lesson from fully guaranteeing a contract to a quarterback and decided not to do it again. You have Deshaun Watson's deal, who I talked about before, signed a four-year, $156 million deal with about $111, $112 million guaranteed, about 71 72% of the money. He went 4-12 and the following season, sat out all of 2021, was suspended for 11 games last season, and then went 3-3 three and three in the games that he's played, and he had zero playoff appearances during that four-year span. Patrick Mahomes. So I said earlier that I thought there were three successes among all these quarterback contracts. Patrick Mahomes is the best, obviously most successful. He's the number one on the list as far as contracts that have worked out. And the contract that he signed was a 10-year contract with $450 million with $141 million guaranteed. That is 31.3% of the contract guaranteed. Since then, he has gone on to go 14 and 1, 12 and 5, 14 and 3, 7 and 2 in the playoffs, and has won a Super Bowl championship and a Super Bowl MVP since he has signed that deal with the Kansas City Chiefs in the 2020 offseason. That's what Patrick Mahomes has signed for. So let me repeat that 10 years, 450 million, comes out to be 45 million a year, with only 141 million guaranteed. We are going to come back to the Patrick Mahomes deal, but again, him and Jimmy Garoppolo are two of the three success stories among these deals. Then we're going to move into 2021. There was only a few deals done in 2021. We had Dak Prescott sign a four-year, 160 million dollar deal with Dallas, with 126 million guaranteed. About 78% of that money is guaranteed. The Cowboys since then have gone 11 and five, and then eight and four, and Dak missed five games in 2022 and they're 1-2 in the playoffs in that time frame so that has not worked out for them either Josh Allen signed a six-year extension or six-year deal with the Bills in 2021 for $255 million 150 million guaranteed that's about 58% they've gone 11-6 and 13-3 and 2-2 and two and two in the playoffs that is the third success among these contracts so what what I want to point out here is that those are the three most successful contracts that have been signed as far as the franchise quarterbacks. You have Patrick Mahomes, obviously, 7-2 and two in the playoffs, a Super Bowl championship, Super Bowl MVP. Obviously, it's an unmitigated success. The next two best contracts, though, got you Jimmy Garoppolo, 4-2 and two in the playoffs, and Josh Allen, 2-2 two and two in the playoffs. Those are the three best outcomes from teams that have signed quarterbacks to franchi- franchise quarterbacks to record deals. That's what they've, you've gotten so far out of that. You look at the deal signed in 2022, 
Matthew Stafford, four years, $160 million, the $120 million guaranteed. That's 75%. Matthew Stafford was hurt most of 2022. The Rams were awful. The Rams have a had a had would have had a top six pick, the number six pick overall, except it belongs to the Detroit Lions because they traded it to Matt, to get Matthew Stafford. So after signing him to you know his new deal after winning the Super Bowl, he goes on to get injured and miss most of the last season. Rams don't even make the playoffs. They're you know picking top. They're picking top six. Derek Carr in 2022 signed a three-year, 121 million dollars with the Las Vegas Raiders. For those of you not paying attention, Derek Carr is no longer the starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. They released him after one year of that three-year contract, and he is now the starter for the New Orleans Saints. $65 million of that was guaranteed, so about 53%, which is why it was so easy for them to move on from him. Deshaun Watson obviously signed his deal, five years, $230 million, with all that guaranteed. He was suspended for 11 games, then went 3-3 three and three in the games he was back and looked awful in those games. Kyler Murray signs a five-year, $230.5 million, $230. million deal. That's important because this was after Deshaun Watson's deal, so he had to get that extra half a million to be making more than Deshaun Watson. But he only had $160 million guaranteed, which is about 69-70% of the contract. Russell Wilson signed a five-year deal with the Denver Broncos after he was traded to them with $245 million, $165 million guaranteed. 60, that's roughly 67% of the contract guaranteed. And Aaron Rodgers signed a three-year deal, $150 million with $101 million guaranteed. That's, again, about 67% of the contract guaranteed. You know what all those teams have in contract, uh, common? Matthew Stafford at the Rams, Derek Carr with the Raiders, Deshaun Watson with the Browns, Kyler Murray with the Arizona Cardinals, Russell Wilson with the Broncos, and Aaron Rodgers with the Packers. Every single one of those teams missed the playoffs last season. So I say all of this because... If you go through all of those players, all those quarterbacks who signed all of those deals that I've just went through, the total combined playoff record of all those quarterbacks is 16-21. and 21. If you take Patrick Mahomes out of that equation, the remaining quarterbacks are a grand total of 9-19 and 19 in playoff situations during those contracts, during from the span of 2018 to t- through 2022. 9-19. and 19. You have nine playoff wins from all these quarterbacks who signed franchise deals with teams. Most of those quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, all those guys are now playing on different teams than the teams that had signed them to those deals. And all of those teams that signed quarterbacks to big deals last year, not a single one of them made the playoffs. So if there was anything, anything at all that you could look to recently to deter you from signing a quarterback to a huge contract with huge guarantees, you don't even need to go back to 2018 like I did. You could have just looked at 2022 and seen the contracts that were signed last year and seen the results that the teams got out of that and realized, hey, that's probably not a good strategy. Something about this isn't right, isn't working. In fact, since 2018, most of these deals for most of these quarterbacks, these franchise quarterbacks sending franchise deals, does not work, has not worked. The best 
case that has happened is Patrick Mahomes. And this is the part I want to I really want to hammer home cuz we got media members right now trying to say that Deshaun Watson or I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson is crusading to get fully guaranteed contracts and the NFL should do fully guaranteed contracts. And that, you know, basically it's all these former players who are in NFL media trying to get all rah-rah about getting players more money. And I would turn around and I would simply point at the Patrick Mahomes deal as an example of why players shouldn't be doing this. Patrick Mahomes signs his deal, <clears throat> again, 10 years, $450 million. Over 10 years, with only $141 million guaranteed. What this does, what this allows the Chiefs to do is allows flexibility. It allows them to have cap space and money to spend on the rest of the team so they can keep a team around Patrick Mahomes, so they can build a team that isn't just based off of Patrick Mahomes' arm. So they can move money all over the place when you have a 10-year deal and when most of that money isn't guaranteed. And, by the way, this is the other important thing that I don't think Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens have, which is why I ultimately think that he will be playing for a different team. If I don't think he'll be playing for the Ravens next season. I think he will sit out or be playing for a different team. But the reason, the thing that the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have that they don't is essentially trust with one another. And there seems to be this understanding where, yeah, the deal we're signing to you now for 10 years, five years, in, you know, we've got Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, all those guys coming up for contract extensions. It's not going to be long before Patrick Mahomes is close to being, you know, the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league. And he clearly shouldn't be because he's, Currently, the only quarterback in the league who is a two-time Super Bowl champ, who has multiple Super Bowl rings. So, when you look at that, and you look at Patrick Mahomes' deal, you franchise quarterbacks should be thinking more like that. And the reason that the trust is important is because they can come back and basically... There's the understanding between Patrick Mahomes and the organization that when he is, you know, getting close to being the 10th paid quarterback in the league, and he clearly shouldn't be, they can come back to the table and give him more money. They can restructure the contract. They can take some of the money that's further down the line, convert it into a signing bonus, give him an extension, and then get rid of some void years at the end of the contract. And then basically, you know, the last three, four years of the contract, where he wasn't going to be making much, they get voided off and he gets converted to more guaranteed money up front, and they add an extension that pushes money further down again there's so much they can do, so much flexibility they have, and there's the understanding that they are going to come back to the table and renegotiate once Patrick Mahomes is being paid significantly beneath what he should be. But in the meantime, this deal that they've agreed to allows them a lot of flexibility. Then you look at what Josh Allen did with a six-year deal with $255 million, but only $150 million guaranteed. Again, one of those things where it's six years only $150 million guaranteed. They have a lot of flexibility in what they can do because of the length of the contract and the lack of the guaranteed money during that time frame. They can convert it from, you know, into signing bonuses and, you know, attack on void years and this, that, and the other thing to spread out the money around. And they can, there's the understanding that these organizations will come back and renegotiate once these players are underpaid. I don't think, because Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent, I don't think he understands that. I don't think he understands that he can come back to the table and renegotiate with the teams and that holding out is an option to do so. And I think his unwillingness to do it in the past two years has kind of lost him his leverage as far as contract negotiations go with that. Even if he were to, you know, sign a deal with them, like that's part of the reason he doesn't want to sign a deal is because ultimately then, you know, him coming back to the table to renegotiate for more money would require him sitting out in the future. And I think he just seems to be really avoiding wanting to try to sit out on the team. 
which, you know, hats off to him for doing that. But it's a strategy that your agent would use with and threaten to use without you actually having to do it to let the team know that, hey, yeah, no, they need to pay you more money or you'll withhold your services. But I think he's lost leverage by not doing that in the past because it seems like he'll be unwilling to do it going forward, which is why he doesn't want to take a deal with that guaranteed money. I will also say that I think his, if it is true that he's looking for that, even if it's not all of the money guaranteed, close to most of it guaranteed, if that's what he's looking for, again, I think it shows a lack of, I think it shows a lack of confidence in the team and a lack of confidence in himself. Because he, if you need all of that money fully guaranteed, like you're supposed to be the franchise quarterback for the team, and but you feel all that money needs to be guaranteed, it's because he doesn't feel like He's actually the long-term answer for the Baltimore Ravens, whether that's because of things that have gone on there back and forth. You know, I've talked about the Twitter drama earlier that's going on with the tweets and all coming out. Or if he's concerned, you know, because he's been injured the past few seasons, see, he wants to protect himself and he feels like the team's not going to do it. Or if he's just trying to make up the money that he didn't make before. But I feel that it shows... Again, I feel like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen signed their deals knowing that they're going to be underpaid before those deals are up, but they're going to go back to the table and renegotiate with their teams and that they'll, you know, there won't be any issues when that happens and that those teams will gladly re-up their money when they're being underpaid. Lamar Jackson doesn't feel that same way, whether it's, you know, a lack of trust in the organization or, you know, just a lack of, like, you know, trust in himself where he has been injured at the end of the past two seasons. And if that trend continues, then when he wants to try to go back to the table, renegotiate, that's something the team could point to and say no. So I think it shows, again, just a lack of trust between the teams, a little bit of a lack of confidence for Lamar Jackson himself because he wants all of that money fully guaranteed because he... I guess he's not sure that he's a long-term answer for the Baltimore Ravens. But that's just a crazy it's a crazy situation for me. So I ultimately think that Lamar I don't think he's going to get what he's looking for. I think this is past the point of no return for him the Baltimore Ravens and quite frankly I don't think the Baltimore Ravens should have given in and gave to a demand of a fully guaranteed contract if that's what he's looking for. Again, you can just look at the deals last year with Stafford, Carr, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers, all of whom missed the playoffs last season. And that would be good enough right there to tell you why you shouldn't sign Lamar Jackson this big deal. But then you go back and you look at all the deals going back to 2018 since Lamar Jackson's been brought in the league, and you have even more examples of situations where teams think they have their franchise quarterback and they commit all this money to him to keep him on the team because they don't want to lose, they don't want to have to rebuild or move on from a franchise quarterback. How could you let a franchise quarterback go? And then ultimately, these players don't end up working out, and most of these guys end up getting traded to different teams before those contracts are even up. So I just think that teams, I think that if you're a franchise quarterback and the team has told you that and you believe that and the team seems to show you support and there's that trust between you and the organization, you should be doing deals like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes where it's longer term deals with not as much money guaranteed but the understanding that you'll come back to the table and renegotiate in a few years after you know you've you're underpaid compared to what you're producing. And that's the thing with if you look at Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, they sign those deals and they continue playing and they continue having success and the Bills and the Chiefs every year 
and now you know the Bengals are in the mix now, but the Bills and the Chiefs every year are considered you know the favorites for the AFC you know championship game, or you know the the representatives for the AFC in the Super Bowl. It's those two teams every year since they've had Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. It seems like these two teams seem to be in the race for it, and then they sign deals that show, hey, we're not worried about whether or not the team's committed to us or we think we'll be long-term starters or anything like that. The other part of this that I want to look at is, again, let's compare Lamar Jackson to Patrick Mahomes. Because everybody keeps putting the Deshaun Watson deal. I said this earlier and I talked about that, but they keep putting the Deshaun Watson deal as like the comparison. But I think Patrick Mahomes is a much better comparison if you look at it because Patrick Mahomes should be the gold standard for quarterbacks in the league at the moment. Patrick Mahomes was drafted one year sooner than Lamar Jackson, and the start of their careers were pretty similar. Patrick Mahomes sits behind Alex Smith his rookie season. He only plays one game at the end of the season after the Chiefs had secured a bye, and he goes out and lights things up in, you know, a Week 17 game. Doesn't end up starting for the Chiefs until 2018, where he goes on to be the NFL MVP. He the the Chiefs secured a bye, and then they go one and one in the playoffs, losing in the AFC Championship game to the New England Patriots, who at the time still had Tom Brady. So there's no shame in that. And then in 2019, the Chiefs win a Super Bowl. He goes three and zero in the playoffs. He's Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion. That's what he did in 2018 and 2019. So, the first, again, 2017, sat on the bench, didn't do anything. The next two years, he was NFL MVP, then a Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl MVP. 4-1 and one in the playoffs during that time frame. During the 2020 offseason, you know what happens? He signs his deal 10 years, $450 million. That's what you do. He's contract eligible at that point. He's an MVP. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a two-time Pro Bowl. He was elected to the Pro Bowl in both 2018 and 2019. He signs that deal. Lamar Jackson drifted a year later in 2018. Doesn't play for most of 2018 because the Ravens have Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco goes down towards the end of the season. Lamar Jackson comes out. He goes 6-1, and one, leads the team to a playoff berth. They, go, they lose in that playoff game, unfortunately, for them. 2019, his first full year as a starter, he goes 13-2. and two. They again lose in the first round. Of, they lose their first playoff game, 0 and 1 in the playoffs. Then in 2020, they go 11 and 4. They win a playoff game, but then lose in the next round of the playoffs. So they go 1 and 1. So during that, so basically 2018 is rookie season. He goes 6 and 1. 2019, 13 and 2. 20 and 20, 11 and 4. They go further in the playoffs each year. That he is now at the end of the 2020 season is now the 2021 off season. He is available for a contract extension. This is when he needs to sign the extension. In the in 2021, in you know the offseason, sometime between March and August of 2021, he should have came to a long-term deal with the Baltimore Ravens. Because the Ravens, at that point, you know, he's a thir- he's 30 and 7 as a starter in the regular season at that point. And one and three in the playoffs, but again, they just won their first playoff game in the season before after go you know losing the first game in the playoff the last two years. He should have signed his deal then. That was at his peak value. But let's look what would have happened if he had signed a deal then. So he signs a deal in the off in the twenty twenty one off season. If Lamar Jackson had signed his contract in the twenty twenty one off season. Through the first two years of the contract, 
He would have been seven and five and then missed four games due to injury. And then he would have been eight and four and missed five games due to injury in that season. So he would have missed nine games, wouldn't have been available for you. You were 0 1 in the playoffs, and he wasn't available for the playoff game that you were there for. What sort of situation would they be in if he had signed his deal? Because this is the part that gets me. It's like everybody, you know, I hear a lot of media members that are so gung ho on how could you not sign him? How could you not sign him? Well, let's think about if he had signed his deal in 2021 offseason like he was supposed to. You'd be at the point now where this would be a make or break season for Lamar. Like, depending on what he would do this upcoming season, would determine whether or not he gets traded or still remained the franchise quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. That's where we'd be at if he had signed a deal with the Ravens in 2021. So I just I I feel like this has gotten blown way out of hand by media members with like you know NFL teams conspiring against Lamar Jackson and then trying to push this whole he's doing it for all the players in the league to get guaranteed contracts. It just seems like some of the basic facts have gotten thrown out the window here. So here are the basic facts. Lamar Jackson, not as accomplished as a quarterback as Patrick Mahomes, did not accomplish the same things that Patrick Mahomes accomplished during his first three years as a starter. Okay, Again, during that time frame, was Lamar Jackson an NFL MVP? Yes. Did he go to a pro, Was he elected to a Pro Bowl? Yes. But during the, his first three years, Patrick Mahomes was also an NFL MVP, was a two-time Pro Bowler, won a Super Bowl, and was the Super Bowl MVP. So he accomplished a lot more in the same span of time, in the first three years of his career, compared to what Lamar Jackson did. So, and then since signing that deal, he has done more than Lamar Jackson has done. So any sort of notion where Lamar Jackson should be getting a deal that massively eclipsed what Patrick Mahomes got is just insane. It's just not how that works. Okay, then you take a look at the quarterback contract signed last year in 2022, and that right there will tell you why it's a bad idea to shell out so much money to a quarterback that might have some questions to him, specifically injury-related. Then you look at all the quarterback contracts signed since Lamar Jackson has come into the league, and you realize, hey, most of these don't work out. Again, of the... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 21 major quarterback deals that have been signed in that time frame. Three of them have worked out for those teams. Only one of those has led to any Super Bowls for that team. So again, 21 contracts signed for quarterbacks who are supposed to be the franchise quarterback for the team. Only one of those contracts has resulted in a Super Bowl for that team. And that was Patrick Mahomes who took a team-friendly deal. So I am just baffled by this notion that Lamar Jackson deserves a fully guaranteed contract. I'm baffled by the notion that any player deserves the fully guaranteed contract when it hasn't happened before. And looking at the information for quarterbacks for the past several years just tells you why you shouldn't. It handicaps your team. You will not be able to put a team around the quarterback that you just gave all that money to. So if something goes wrong with that quarterback at all, everything falls apart and that quarterback gets blamed. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. Like, just these players who had so much potential and had done so much with their team and looked like they were going to be with that team for an extended period of time. Again, 
Carson Wentz and Jared Goff traded two years after signing their extensions with their teams. Carson Wentz was in the running for NFL MVP in 2017 before he got hurt. The team won a Super Bowl that year because he got them. He led them to an 11-3 start <coughs> before getting injured and got them a first-round bye. Jared Goff led the Rams to a 2018 Super Bowl after having some great years under Sean McVay. Two years into his deal, they get rid of him. Deshaun Watson wants out after one year signing after one year after signing his extension with the Houston Texans and causes all this drama. Like it just, I I know people say that the quarterback position is the most important and you need to get that right and you need to have a franchise quarterback at that guy. But this is the problem: is that not every quarterback out there is a franchise quarterback. And the problem is when you commit so much money to a guy and expect all that from him, it handicaps the rest of the team. So you need to be certain that this guy has everything, both the tangibles and the intangibles. And then you have to also hope that they don't get hurt. And so all of that together is just too much risk to sit there and give out these fully guaranteed contracts or six years for $250 million, $250 million guarantee, and you handicap your whole team. And if anything happens to Deshaun Watson, you know, Lamar Jackson in that time frame, it tanks the whole team and you're not even able to rebuild. I don't think that's the direction the league's going to go. I think, the, I think that the NFL owners and managers and people actually involved in this business side of the NFL understand this. And I want everyone else to understand it too at home and not just listen to the media members who are all hyping this up as it's somehow like the owners being greedy or cheap or conspiring against the players. It's a bad business decision to make this deal. That was That's everything I have to say. This was obviously not a shorter episode like I had said at the beginning. I apologize to everybody, but I had quite a lot to say. That's why this is called Ryan's Rants. I go on for quite a while about some things, but... I hope you enjoyed hearing my thoughts, and if you did, head on over to Twitter at Fantasy Oddballs, or for me myself, I'm at Ryan McNichols on Twitter, and send us a message, follow us, give us a like, whatever you want to do, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you get your audio podcast, but until next time, I'm Ryan McNichols, have a great week.